Thank you, Pastor John. Thank you, Ms. Barbara, Clayton, Leslie, and everybody who makes this possible. And thank you for being here with us. My name is Pastor Bill, and I get the privilege of bringing you a message this morning. Before we jump into our new series, I, I did want to share what I've been up to the last week because it was kind of uh, life-altering for me. I got to spend some time with two grandsons, uh, five and almost three years old. And uh, one of the things that we worked with was Plato. You may recognize this. Um, it's been a while since I, I did Plato, and it was fascinating to me because they have all these molds that you can just mash this into and push them together and then out pops this figure and you just take a little knife and you trim it off and you've got all kinds of action figures uh, most of whom I did not know about I'm getting smarter I, I did know some I did know the Transformers I did know Optimus Prime all these essential things that you have to know but we spent I don't know a lot of time trying to mash this play-doh into a mold getting it just right and then you, when you pull it out of course you've got ragged edges so you have to take the little knife and you have to surgically remove the extra and sometimes they're 3D. So you got two sides going, which is pretty high tech stuff. I got to admit, because if it were up to me, my artistic skills with my hands are, well, less than zero. Yeah, if you know me, you know this is true. So we spent all kinds of time trying to create Optimus Prime and all the Transformers and all these other figures. And they would play with them for five seconds and then they were bored they, they wanted something else so went through about every mold that there was to make uh, and then finally when there was not much left to do I just I picked up a, the, the excess and I just started working it subconsciously with my hands uh, thinking about well gosh you know first of all how can I entertain these kids and second of all is there is Plato run its course and inadvertently I had made a ball this fascinated the almost three-year-old. He wanted that. Not only did he want that, he proceeded to play with that for the next 15 minutes. Not only that, but the older brother, who is five, saw this and wanted one. You know how it is when there's more than one kid. You can never just make one. You have to make one for everyone. Well, he was so enamored with his, which was a different color, by the way, and they both just played with a ball of Play-Doh for the next 10, 15 minutes, and that's when it hit me. Now, when did my life get so complicated that I couldn't enjoy just a simple lump of Play-Doh? And, and that's when I also started thinking, what is their life going to be like? As I look at the world around me, it seems ever more complex. And is there any hope for such simplicity and joy to reign in their lives as they grow? What kind of world will they inherit? Here's the world that I see. Maybe you do too. It's the era of protest. It's the era of unrest and sometimes violence. Now, here's the ironic thing in, in the current day and age, this could be anywhere in the world. This is United States, I, I don't know, could be. But all around the globe, there are protests due to bad government, due to coronavirus, uh, due to Black Lives Matter or, or any other number of movements that are concerned about human rights. This protest could be anywhere. Not only that, but even in the United States, we have a, a history that is so easy to forget. If you were around in the 1980s, the, the era that I, the, the decade that I went to college, let me, let me rephrase that. It did not take me a decade to graduate college. I went to college during the decade of the 80s. Uh, anyway, this is uh, Los Angeles and the results of Los Angeles riots in the aftermath. 
and going back even further, if you're around in the 60s, these pictures might look familiar in, in major cities in the United States. This happens to be Detroit. All of this points to the fact that the United States is in distress. You look at these two, this is a modern day picture uh, at the White House and they're holding the flag upside down. Now you may think that that's uh, disrespectful to the United States flag, but little known fact, did you know that when the flag, United States flag is flown upside down, it's really a signal of distress. So what these protesters are attempting to relay is that they're in distress. The United States is in distress. Things are so complicated, so convoluted, turning to violence and hatred and division. What possible chance do my grandsons have to grow up in a world that is peaceful and simple? Well, that's the impetus for this sermon series. Sermon series is called Just Jesus, and it's a little bit of a mind blower. At the top, you see just how compl complicated and convoluted the world can be. But when we insert Jesus, yeah, there are fits and starts and ups and downs, but at the end of the day, just Jesus gets us on a clear path to a good future. Now, here's the further catch as you will look at what we're going to study. Uh, these things sound a lot like Jesus. Uh, today, we're talking about completion in, in terms of completing the good work that he has started in us. Then we'll talk about the characteristics that you would expect to find in Jesus. But here's the catch. We're not actually talking about the life of Jesus because we're going to be looking in the book of Philippians. We're not talking about the life of historical Jesus. What we are talking about is Jesus living in us because ultimately that's what's going to make the difference in the world around us. Is Jesus alive in us? Are we taking Jesus out to the world? Are we sharing the gospel, the good news? Are we sharing the peace that passes understanding? And are we doing so because we are uh, under contract to, or are we doing so because we have personally felt that and want to extend that to the world? There's a huge, huge difference. Now, why is this important? Well, there's what we do. There's the good works that we can do. Uh, here's a great picture of a person uh, helping someone who's in a wheelchair and couldn't get down the sidewalk and had to get out into the rain. Uh, he's carrying a bag. He might have some expensive electronics in there or something. Who knows? But he's not worried about that. He's just trying to shelter the, the other. Now, that's an act of kindness. That's, that's a what. That's something that we can do. But here's what makes the difference, how we do it. Because lots of people help people, but how we do it makes all the difference. In this case, there's an example of, of Mother Teresa. If you're familiar with her story at all, it's not just what she did. It was the way that she did it that showed the world who Christ was and that Christ was alive in her, and that she had experienced a love and a depth of care that far surpasses anything this world can give. And she was determined then to give back. So you may be wondering, well, how does this work? And, and what happens if, if I don't really want to join in on this effort of trying to show the world peace and Jesus and all that stuff? Now, there's good questions. And, and the common objections that I hear are, I don't really want to be like Jesus. It sounds like no fun. I mean, you always having to do the right thing. And, you know, can't ever cut loose and have fun. I just don't want to be like Jesus. The other common objection is, I don't want to do the work to be like Jesus. 
Now, if you're like most people, you're going to go, wait a minute. Uh, I thought there wasn't any work. I thought this, this salvation was a free gift. That's grace, you know, faith and grace and all that, that I'm saved because I believe this is true. But if we, in our fallen, sinful human nature, want to be more Christ-like, there is work to be done. And yes, the Holy Spirit will work on us, but we have a part in that too. That's the part that most people miss, is that we have a role to play in this. So today we're going to talk about what that looks like. Uh, and, and specifically, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church and the people there, and he starts with a little bit of thanks. And this is what he says specifically. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. These are the words of God, and they are for the people of God, and for them we give thanks. What is it that Paul is talking about, this good work that is begun in us, and that he has confidence that it will continue, that God will continue that work in us? There are a couple of things that are interesting to note. As Paul writes, he starts by saying, I give thanks for you. And why was Paul thankful? If you go back and you look at the words, you recognize that he was thankful because they, the people who he's writing to, were partners in the gospel from the first day. They were alongside him in the mission of carrying this good news out to the world. The world they lived in was probably equally chaotic, maybe even more so, maybe even more dangerous. Maybe they had little children that they wondered, what kind of world will they inherit? How will they grow? What will they grow into? The world was not that different. It was violent. It was rude. It was not peaceful. But Paul gives thanks because they are participating in this partnership to share the good news around them. Why is that so significant and why does that matter? And why should we care today? It's not just the good news. It's the results of the good news that have meaning for the world. And what are the results of this good news, of this gospel of peace? Well, let's take a look at Galatians 5. This is a familiar passage, but recognize we're talking about results here. This is what happens when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, to do that work that Paul was talking about earlier. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, does that sound like the world around us? Absolutely not. Does that sound like the kind of world that we would want our children and our grandchildren to grow up in? It does for me. It sounds fantastic. So how does this work? Well, here's the thing. When we're talking about producing fruit, fruit is never produced by a sapling. Why is this significant? Because in the Christian faith, when we say, I believe, I accept Jesus, Yes, that is a free gift. Yes, we are saved because of what Christ did already on the cross. Because uh, he rose from the grave, we have the benefit of inheriting eternal life. But at that moment, we're just like this seedling. It's a, a blink of an eye moment where we believe and we are saved. 
but are we producing fruit? The fruit doesn't come from a sapling. Fruit comes from the grown fruit tree. And in the process between sapling and grown tree, there's a lot of change that goes on, some growing pains. There's some time. There's some patience required. There's a process that, that has to happen. That's the part that we forget. See, we, in our most selfish moments, we want that peace. We want that eternal salvation. We want all that, and, and we take it just like that sapling. But if that's all we ever do with it, we're not feeding the world. And as I look at the world around us, we have something that we could offer, but it requires us to grow, to change, to become mature, more like the image of Christ. That's the work that God wants to do in us. That's the work that will make the difference to the world around us. That's the work that produces the fruit that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So how do we get there? Well, as usual, I have some good news and I have some bad news. Uh, the bad news is it takes time. The good news is it is possible. We live in the Amazon microwave environment where if I want peace, I just Amazon prime it and overnight there will be world peace. That's not the way this world works though. And I think we know that at some level, we have to know that. There's a process involved, but here's the thing that we often ignore. That process is something that begins in us. We have to allow that process to work, to shape us into the image. And sometimes the shaping is not comfortable. Sometimes the shaping pushes us outside of comfort zones. Sometimes that uh, actually may, may cause physical suffering, uh, mental anguish, all these other things. And you're thinking, why in the world would I do that? Great question to ask Jesus Christ himself. Why in the world would he go through that, through physical anguish, mental anguish, being stretched outside of what he knew as, as normal? That's because he loved the world enough to want to see it change. It, all the stuff that's going on today, Jesus is not surprised by. I guarantee he's not surprised by any of this. He may be filled with sorrow about some of the things that's happening, but he's certainly not surprised. And that's one of the reasons that he came and, and did what he did so that we can be a part of changing the world. The, the thing I want to emphasize in this, one of the, the, the problems that people have is, well, I'm, I'm not Christ. I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm not even a role model for that matter. Here's the thing I want to encourage you with is that this idea of bringing peace to other people and this idea of allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us and transform us is much more about consistency than it is perfection. In other words, if there's really not much to be done, then what's the point? I mean, isn't that the point? for people to see something so radically different than what we were before, to see the transformation and to notice that we are different than the rest of the world, as we always say, life is different. That's when we can see the biggest change, when we, we ourselves have been changed. And then in turn, we help others make the same connection that will change their lives. And pretty soon life will be different for us, for them, and for the world. It's far more about consistency than it is perfection. This is the other encouragement that I want to give you in this. If you're struggling with a specific problem, situation, or relationship, 
who's going to be a more effective mentor for you? Someone who has no idea what you're talking about and maybe read a book about it and, and can offer you some platitudes or somebody who's walked a mile in your shoes and is just a little further down the path. See, they don't even have to have it all solved or figured out. They just have to have faith and a little more mileage on them. And that doesn't necessarily mean years. That might mean experience. That might mean relationships. That might mean uh, an experience with Christ that happened earlier in their lives. That's the person that will make a difference. And that's the person that you'll seek out. Someone right now is probably looking for you based on your experiences, based on the mileage that's been put on you. My question to you is, are you willing to forego this idea of perfection and just enter into the consistency of walking one foot in front of the other in faith and inviting someone into that walk with you? Consistency, far more than perfection. That's the ideal. So what does this mean in terms of this work that Christ is doing in us? Let's take a look at another scripture that's familiar, but probably bears looking at one more time. This scripture is another letter from Paul writing to the Ephesians in uh, chapter 2, verse 10. He says this, For we are God's worksmanship, workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's one thing to be created. Uh, it's another thing to be created in Christ. And it's a whole other thing to be created in Christ to do good works, which are prepared beforehand. See, we are created, we are born, and then we are created in Christ. We are born again. But we don't stop there. We continue to grow, to be shaped, so that we can be used to do what? Good works, which, by the way, God's prepared in advance for us to do. So there's an adventure waiting for all of us, and there's a world that desperately needs whatever it is that you have in Christ. That's the invitation. But there's also some misconceptions uh, when it comes to how this all works. Uh, how does God work in us? One of the mis misconceptions is that uh, we can just experience peace and we can change the world by simple belief. We've, we've already mentioned this before. But if you remember back to Trials and Temptations, the, the previous sermon series that we went through, one of Satan's specialties is taking a lie and coating it with just enough truth that it sounds right, but at some point, there's that subtle twist that takes us off path. Here's where it happens in this particular case. Accept and believe, and you will experience peace. And you will be saved. And you will inherit eternal life. That is all true. But here's the myth. Here's where we get twisted off course. And this is all about you. You will have peace. You will have eternal life. You will have joy. There's no need to worry about that other. That's the lie. See, that's the, the part that perpetuates this personal idea of peace. This idea that this is all about me, my personal Savior, my friend Jesus, my relationship with Jesus. All true. But you remember that part in the Bible where God says, yeah, you got to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love neighbor as yourself. That's the part that Jesus throws in to set us straight. That's the part that Satan leaves out because he wants it to be all about the individual and to not share it with anyone. What a tragedy and a travesty. So the, 
the truth is if we want to change the world around us, not only do we have to make all those changes and allow God to work in us, but we have to be able to share that. Now, there's a million ways that we can share that, and we'll, we'll talk about that in the future. But what I'm trying to get us to recognize at this particular point is if we want to create that ideal world, we have to be willing to share, to get outside our comfort zone, maybe to suffer a little bit here and there, but we certainly don't just accept it for ourselves. So you may be asking, what's our part in this? And that's a great question. Going back to the uh, great theological lessons that I learned from a three-year-old almost and a five-year-old, um, but, but at a more adult level, think about the pottery. Now, I don't do pottery, as I mentioned before. I'm pretty artistically stunted with my hands. <laughs> but when you think about what a potter does um, and what the clay does and whose role is what and how this all comes together, you can see that we are being worked on by the creator. Sometimes it's uncomfortable, but here's the thing with, with this, God is the hands and we are the clay. God is the potter. And as we are shaped, we have a couple of advantages over this lump of clay that is exhibited in this photo. That is this, we're the only clay that can fight back we can fight the shaping that's happening to us and resist. We're also the only clay that can walk off the wheel. We can just decide to up and move. I'm not having this. I don't want this. I don't want to be shaped by God. I just want to be comfortable in my little blobby form, whatever that is. But think about what this clay goes through in the process of becoming this vase that may carry water, let's say. You're taken out of your comfort zone. You're plopped onto this hard wheel. You're drowned with some water, and then you start spinning. And your world is spinning, spinning, spinning. And then you start getting pressure. You get squished. You get molded. You get formed. You get handled from somebody else's hands. And it's making you do things that is not natural to your lump, lumpish form. It can be uncomfortable. And you're being stretched and grown and molded this whole time. And if that's not bad enough, then... When that is seemingly all over and your world stops spinning, you're thrown right into the fire and you're baked at a high temperature. And then when you finally get out of that, you think, surely this must be done, right? Oh, no, no, no. You're going to be glazed. You're going to be decorated and maybe painted. Uh, maybe that's not so bad, but, but then it's back into the fire, even hotter this time because that's got to take. And you're thinking, when will this end? Where is the joy and the peace in this? This is an example of God working in us, in our spirit, in our soul, shaping us so that we can do what? Do good works. See, it's not a random shape. It's not like, uh, I think I'll make a big ball of Play-Doh today. This is a purposeful shape, a shape full of purpose. In this case, this jar is going to carry water to a world that desperately needs it, a world that is desperately thirsty, for love and grace, for peace, for reconciliation. All of that because the potter was able to do that because the clay didn't fight back and the clay didn't get up and walk off the wheel. What does that mean uh, exactly? Well, when I say the, the clay gets up and, and walks off the wheel, that's people who get up and just walk away from faith, walk away from the faith community, walk away from 
gathering together, from experiencing community groups, from those conversations and those relationships that encourage and strengthen us to allow God to work in us. Or maybe we uh, don't allow ourselves to be shaped. The being shaped is primarily done by spiritual disciplines. And in my experience, we we are formed, we are molded by spiritual disciplines. And I don't just mean, you know, sitting down in Bible study and quiet time, but I mean that plus going out into the world and then experiencing what it is to try to share that faith or, or to live that faith. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be theologically educated. You just have to experience Christ and take Christ with you wherever you go and show him to the world. That's what it is to be molded for a purpose and used by God for a purpose. As I was thinking about my grandsons and my experience with Plato, I remember thinking, boy, I, I need to make sure that these boys know Christ. They need to have a peace uh, that will sustain them in the hardest of times. And then I got to thinking, that, that's good. That's a good start. But what I really need is for them to live Christ, for Christ to work in them and to shape them into whatever shape they need to be so that they can change this world. And by the way, that needs to start with me. I can't just expect someone else to do this. I have to lead by example. Sometimes that example is staying on the wheel. Sometimes that example is being smashed and molded into something that we don't really want, but that is needed because it has a purpose. Sometimes it involves being thrown into the fire again and again without understanding why all the time. We're not even agreeing with whatever shape it is that we're being molded into. And again, in my massive artistic skills, uh, being shaped into something that can carry the water to a desperately thirsty world. Uh, thank God, God does better sculpture than build us. But this is what it's like to have God work in us and through us. It helps us um, tolerate some of the things that go on um, that we experience. But more so, it gives me hope. It gives me hope that there is a world <clears throat> that is desperately needing this news, this way of living, this life that is different. And I have a role to play in that. If I will just stay in the presence of the creator, of the potter, and allow him to do his work, then he in turn can use me for the purpose for which I was made, to do the good works which he created in advance for us to do. And I can have confidence that what he began in me he will continue through to completion as long as I don't fight him all the time and I stay on the wheel. Stay on the wheel, Word Serve Nation. Stay in contact, stay in love with the Bible, stay in love with Christ, stay in love with the Holy Spirit. Allow yourself to be shaped, spun, fired, kiln, whatever that needs to happen with the understanding that we can be used for a greater purpose a purpose that will make a world worth living in, a purpose that will know, uh, a world that will know Christ. I can't think of any greater purpose to be used for. See, it's one thing to accept Christ and to experience his peace. It's a whole nother thing to accept Christ and share him with the world. Only one of those really honors God and his commandment to love God and, and to love neighbor. So as we go out today, 
I would encourage us to consider which we would rather have, a deep personal peace or a world of peace. Choose the one that honors God. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, the perfect one who came down, who knew no sin and took on the sin of the world that we might have the opportunity to experience salvation and grace and forgiveness. God, in the process of that, you invite us into this journey, not just to have that for ourselves, but to be vessels of that, to help people connect to you so they can experience that same peace. God, as I look at the world around us, uh, it so desperately needs to hear you and to see you. And as I pray to you for that, I understand that you're probably asking me right back, so when are you going to start showing me to the world? When are you going to show peace and grace and forgiveness that I first gave you? and I gave you freely. God, let us give freely as we have been given. Let us give peace, not our peace, but your peace that passes understanding. Let us give hope, not in what we can accomplish or how smart we are, but what's in what has already been done for us. God, let us experience the joy that comes with that and the confidence to know that you will continue to work and see through to completion the good work that you have started in us. Let it be so. Let it begin with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.